Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Curtis Rainbolt Green. Curtis, do you want to say hi? Hi there. How's it going? This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Now, you were on episode 410. We talked about Kubernetes. Um, I should probably also throw this at you and at anyone else who is interested. We are starting a new show called Adventures in DevOps, and we are going to be diving into that. Um, We're sort of uh, reincarnating the Food Fight show, if you're familiar with that. So that's That's very familiar. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. I think uh, I think DevOps needs a lot of attention, especially from software developers like you and me. Yeah. Well, and where we're focused here at DevChat.tv on making sure that every programming community has a podcast has good content um it just kind of seemed like a natural thing so agreed yeah so we reached out to nathan and nell nathan's not going to be on the show but nell will be so yeah should be good fantastic anyway do you want to just give a brief introduction who you are what you do where you work why you're famous all that stuff uh sure i wouldn't say i'm famous i just happen to work on some things that people use a lot um I, my name's Curtis. I've been doing this for about uh, 13 years now in total. Uh, I, my primary open source work is divided between two places, uh, Rubyland with VCR and JavaScript land with my, uh, my own side projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I guess that if the VCR would be probably if, if 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 twitter or vcr were, would be where you would know me if you knew me right cool so um let's let's just dive into your ruby story here and kind of get an idea of how you got into programming and things like that in fact let's just start there how did you get into programming oh okay so 13 years ago i was my goodness what was i doing I was a li- so I was born and raised in New Orleans. I was living there in New Orleans, and it was a particularly rough time because it was right during the recession, uh, and I really didn't have that many actionable skills. But I did play a thing called muds or mushes, um, which if you played any text games from the eighties, for you'll know that that is. But it's basically it's a text adventure uh, that's multiplayer. Uh, so think World of Warcraft, but no visuals, and. Uh, not many people know this, but these games are usually written in two languages, much as Ginger. They're ones they're usually written in either C or Java for the server. Oh, and then the second layer is a sort of a built-in embedded language, and it's completely unique to Mushes. Uh, it's called Mush Code. Uh, it's like Scheme, but you're not allowed to use new lines 
or spaces or comments. It's all on one single line. Um, and I learned to program with that. <laughs> it was, in retrospect, horrible, but I built a whole bunch of stuff. And a fellow by the name of Michael Richter, he came along and he was an actual programmer. And he says, you're wasting your time with this. You should get into programming. And he gave me three choices, Haskell, Erlang, or Ruby. And he hated Ruby the most. And that's what I ended up picking as a thing to really focus on. Sorry, that mute button. Um, <laughs> it's funny. So that's the one he hated the least. So that's the one you went for, huh? Yeah, uh, hated the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think it was the... He had so many other, Mr. Richter was a, he mentored me through a lot, but he did it through right. a way that I probably wouldn't advise these days. Mm -hmm. He did it through a very thick lens of cynicism. Right. And at the, I, mean, I didn't understand at the time, I didn't know programming was a thing people paid for. Like I did, uh -huh. it, it, it was not a thing. I was making a whole bunch of free stuff in a language that maybe like 300 people knew. Right. And it had no value whatsoever uh, outside of the people desiring to play games, these, uh, these role-playing games online. And I went to Ruby with that same expectation. Um, I quickly acclimated to the Ruby culture, I think, because, I mean, this is at the same time that Why Lucky Stiff's famous um, uh, Code is Art talk mm -hmm. came out. Uh, it's, uh, the same time Sinatra was released, uh, Constantine's Sinatra. Right. Um, I remember actually, I tried to track it down. My first public open source contribution was I made an app in Sinatra and I realized I had, now I know that I had made it inadvertently made a, a framework around a really, really bad tiny framework around Sinatra to do common things. Mm -hmm. And somewhat, I think it was Constantine. He was like, you should post this. And so I wrapped it up in a zip file and I put it on a mailing list and people were like, no, this is cool. And that's the last, uh, you know, that's the first and last thing I ever contributed to Sinatra. <laughs> nice. Um, I, because of the, the mentoring I have received, I mean, again, Richter was online, so it was all virtual. Uh -huh. I effectively lang programming language grew up with this heavy dislike of rails because oh, interesting. he, Richter, he did not, he was old school in terms of his thinking about programming. And Rails' magic was something to be chided. Right. Uh, so I learned a lot of Sinatra because it was a Rails, right? Um, and, and in my childlike brain, again, I was also like 18, 19. Uh, so in my childlike brain, that was like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Eventually, there's this company that I'm in the middle of Eugene, Oregon. It's not a huge tech scene. Right. It's largely at the time, it's like uh, one third linguists, one third math addicts, and one third senior citizens. <laughs> not exactly like San Francisco, right? And there's this one company, and they have an ad on Craigslist for a redeveloper. And I bluff my, the hell out of that interview i'm like yeah uh -huh. i know rails uh i could do rails things i know how to do front-end development absolutely did not right. javascript um and 
So I remember that they gave me a test. The test they gave me was they gave me a, like a really bad program and they wanted me to fix it. And it was like syntax errors and things like that. Right. And fixing mistakes was something I had gotten very good at because I had only myself to go back and forth with over programs. It was very isolated uh -huh. in my Ruby usage. And uh, that was my first job. And the, the, the distinct thing I remember about that job was one, I was terrible about it. I was very bad at that job. Um, every bad trait a programmer has, I had to the extreme. Um, and then the other thing is that it paid so much more than I had ever heard. And uh, if I remember correctly, it paid 32.5 thousand a year. And when the CEO told me that, I didn't even understand the sal. I, I didn't understand salaries. I, I grew right. up not having, I mean, like my parents were poor, we weren't poverty, but uh, above and beyond rent and bills, we really didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. We were lucky to even have the computer we had. My father, he won an Apple IIe in a, in a, in a uh, Walgreens competition raffle. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, no, that's that's I was. Sort of, <laughs> that's actually why uh, we we were Mac fans. Is that one raffle competition? Right, it's what uh, you had. Yeah, exactly. Well, they were both writers, so they didn't have money for real computers, and they'd use right. like a typewriter. Um, but uh, but thirty two thousand dollars a year that was that was big money for me. I was making minimum wage, and minimum wage in Eugene, Oregon is it's pretty good. It was like right seven eight dollars. Um, like $2 above federal. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of money to me. And also medical benefits. Although I didn't understand those at all. Like I did, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't get that. I never used them either because I didn't understand them. Um, and I lasted at that job for seven months. And my next job was back in New Orleans and for twice as much money, nearly three times as much money. Right. And that was the start of the career. That was it. I mean, like as soon as I realized that I had a skill set that I could survive on, that was there was no way I was looking back. And I love programming, anyways. I mean, I wouldn't done without you know without the jobs. Oh yeah, but but that's just really really interesting too. I mean, a, a lot of people that nowadays they they kind of come in with the expectation, okay, you know, I've gone through all this training, and maybe they went through a boot camp or yeah. they, they got a CS degree. And they, you know, they just expect to come out with a, you know, $60,000, $70,000 salary. But I, I think one thing that I just highlight here in your story is that you didn't really have a good handle on all of that stuff. You just were getting paid to write code. And for a lot of folks, you know, starting out, that's enough, you know. And then once you've been in it for seven, um, you know, seven months or, or, you know, whatever, then you're starting to figure out, okay, this is where I want to wind up. And so that's when you start having the, you know, going through the thought process and thinking through a lot of this stuff and going, okay, now what am I looking at here? What, you know, what, what's the story? What's the deal? And where do I want to, where do I want to go? And, and then you made the next step. Yeah. So I, after, after that first job, there was no doubt in my mind that the next job would be also programming. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even a thing. I was really upset by being let go, although I absolutely deserved it right. uh, and more. Uh, but like it hit me hard. I really hadn't dealt with the concept of being fired before. <laughs> and, right. uh, and so when the next job came along, it was paying him a lot more money 
A, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be in a thing. Uh, that job, I decided, no, I'm going to take control. So in eight months, I was like, I'm quitting. I don't even remember. <laughs> it was stupid. And all of my, all the people I looked up to, uh, Ben Lavender, who works at uh, Stripe now, he was like, do not do this. This is a bad idea. Right. And I was like, nah. Nah, I know what I'm doing. I did not. <laughs> I was an idiot. Uh, because it turns out, New Orleans, which I, uh, the city that I love, it's my home city. Uh-huh. There, is, there is worse than no, so Eugene has no tech. Right. Or didn't at the time. New Orleans had worse than no tech. It had like a, a negative. Uh, so my father, he wrote websites for Gopher browsers back in the day for Tulane University. They didn't know he was doing it. He was doing it. And when they found out, they were like angry that he had wrote them a website. They're like, well, did anybody tell you to this? Uh, is this allowed or is this legal? <laughs> um, yeah, right? And so they paid him 500 bucks a month to keep doing it. And that's all oh. they were willing to do. Um, and that's, I want to like, I say that to set the tone because that's New Orleans. Uh-huh. Modern New Orleans is a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. I have a few friends down there now that are. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, it's got, a, the New Orleans is a crazy place because like the only jobs there are like, there's maybe three companies that would, that, you and I would recognize as, as tech companies. Mm-hmm. The rest of the programming jobs there are military or industrial. And I mean, right. it's all oil. Uh, so we're talking like Ada and like, I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few basic jobs down there. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, that's that kind of environment. Um, so when I quit that job with like one of the few successful startups there, there was nothing, right. absolutely nothing. But there was a huge gathering of, in, of really intelligent software engineers in New Orleans for, for whatever reason. Uh, ben Lavender, who I mentioned already, uh, John Barnett, who works at uh, GitHub, um, the, the founders of uh, uh, Revelry, uh, blanking on his name, I, I, can, I know his Joe, Joe, Joel, Joel, and like, like six others. And we had this angel investor company who would give us free space to do uh, meetups, Launchpad. And we, it was, it was like, I know this sounds so, I say this, but I, I know this sounds so, so up my butt, but like, it felt like when I remember thinking back to it, it felt like the, like a Greek Parthenon. There was just mm-hmm. so many great minds there. And we would talk about testing and we'd argue about deployment and we'd talk about clean code. And it was just, it was fantastic. Uh, but uh, I, I couldn't find any work there. I was a way too junior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, job, the second job I got, by the way, they made me a senior engineer. And they paid me way more than other engineers who had a lot more experience than me. So that was a huge ego boost and yeah. twisted some values that I had for myself. Um, I couldn't find anything there. So I had to leave. Ended up leaving for Los Angeles. Interesting. So now you're in Los Angeles. Yes. And uh... this, this is about the time also that I started contributing to VCR. Uh-huh. Um, Myron had 
a lot on his plate. Byron was the original creator of VCR and also a founder, if not creator of RSpec, a few other things. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a lot on his plate. It was the dawn of uh, RSpec 2. Uh, Rails 4 was coming out. So, of course, everybody was just switching to Rails 3.1, which was the asset flip. flip right. the asset <laughs> um, and I, I get to Los Angeles. I've been given contributor rights to, to VCR, and effectively ownership. Like, this is just now. It's in my plate. Right. Uh, and I get a job at a startup, pays well. I finally have figured out what I want to do and how, well, not what I want to do, but how I want to be at companies. Right. Like what is my role as, I love, I am a programmer as, a, as an artist. Mm-hmm. But software engineering, the career, I, I hadn't really gotten a grasp on yet. Um, and that was the point where I was like, okay, I want to be a, do backend stuff. Mm-hmm but I don't want to be ignorant about friendly practices. Right. Um, and so I, I, it's also when I started, like I said, I started contributing to VCR full time. I, I acted basically as a groundskeeper and I've taken on that role more seriously now for other projects as well. Um, set it up on Travis. Uh, what was the other thing at the time? Was it Hound CI? I think that was a thing. Yeah, it was. I don't remember exactly what the story is there, but yeah. I remember being annoyed at it because it was also like right before they introduced, they had just introduced statuses for pull requests uh-huh. and Hound CI obstinately still kept making comments whenever it had updates on the pull request. So you'd have like a thousand comments on your pull request from Hound CI because you hadn't set up RuboCop yet or whatever. Uh-huh. This is the really early days of RuboCop as well. Um, we we don't, oh, we also, oh, what was it else? What else? We also use a looks good to me. I don't know if that's still around, but that was just basically a way of saying, Hey, it was a pull request review. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I also started contributing to Ruby gems at that time as well. Um, I was pulled on to Ruby together as a paid contributor mm-hmm. um, around that time. And uh, specifically, with the goal of cleaning up Ruby gems, the CLI, the tickets, because there were some old tickets there. And you saw names like ZenSpider, Dr. Mm-hmm. Brain, Dr. Brian, I can't remember. Yeah, Dr. Brain. Dr. Brain, uh, Tender Love, of course, just from 2006, 2007 issues that like didn't make sense anymore. You know? <laughs> uh, like the, the, the world had changed. The difficulty with Ruby gems that I found was that like, it was an environment where I couldn't use Ruby gems. Right. Right. You gotta, I mean like VCR had the similar problem, right? You, how do you test a library that is intrinsically designed to be a part of the test framework, right? Test layer. Uh-huh. And Ruby gems was how do you like build something that is maintainable and works really well without using the rest of the Ruby ecosystem. Right. Uh, it was also RubyGems was my first introduction to like organized open source development. Right. Uh, Andre is God, Ruby could not have a, a, a could not be more lucky to get Andre. Like uh, he runs Ruby together. Well, he yeah yeah he's a run. 
he maintained Bundler for a long time, and then yeah. Yes, he d- he d- did, and still fields questions on it uh, on a daily basis. As I understand it, um, he has organized something. Really, I I really do truly appreciate his work in our field and others. Um, I think I stepped away after a while. I got like a couple of paychecks, but I realized that there were other people in the community who could benefit from the paid work I was doing because they were mm-hmm. better than me at Ruby, better than me at opening right. source maintaining, but they were having trouble finding jobs. Right. And that was about the time that I also started thinking about how our community could do better um, because it was like in Los Angeles, that conversation is constantly, there are not enough senior engineers, too many junior engineers, not enough senior engineers. And in the West Coast, the conversation is we have to fill what was like fourteen thousand jobs, tech jobs, and we don't have enough people. Uh, so I started to think about like, are we actually do we actually have a shortage of engineers? And I don't know these people that that were like, they lived out in you know middle of nowhere, they had no ability to move, they yeah. weren't they weren't hireable from the sense that I'm hireable. Like they they had disabilities or. Mm-hmm. Um, needs that they that couldn't that wouldn't be met by companies right and here i was taking a position at ruby gems or, or ruby together uh taking money i honestly didn't quite need because i had a job right um and so i remember being like hey like there's other people that that need this and apparently it was already like on andre's mind of course because he's he's like a forward thinker you know and uh I, I decided to abdicate my position at Ruby Together and continue working on VCR and uh, some other gems that this is this is a rough year for open source and Ruby at that point. A whole bunch of libraries where the maintainers were like, look, I can't do this anymore. Yep. I'm out. Uh, the Redis library set, that maintainer was out. Uh, Paranoia, he was out. Uh, it was get it was bad. Um, but nothing really changed. So what was it like taking over VCR? Cause I mean, you know, Myron's still around, Yeah. but at the same time, there's a lot of code in there that you, you know, you, you didn't write it. You, you know, you, you may or may not understand all of it. Yeah. So, uh, it was rough because I, again, VCR is a unique beast. Well, not too unique, but unique amongst most libraries. You have to test it the way you would test a testing framework, right? You have to run these mock tests. So, for example, one of VCR's integration tests is that we spit up a Sinatra server on Travis, and we make requests to it uh, through VCR. Right. If anything gets the Sinatra server, that we don't expect to, it blows up, right? Very, very loudly. And like unpacking that was rough. It was also using Relish app, which apparently is dead. Uh, uh-huh. They moved on to a new company or they moved on to a new platform called Cucumber Pro. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yep. And I found that out actually last month. Uh, so th- that's the other thing about VCR is that all of its documentation, most of its documentation, it's actually just tests. 
cucumber specs. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what you're looking at when you're looking on there is just a bunch of cucumber right. specs. So that was rough to learn because I'd never really invested time in that. Mm -hmm. um, and in addition, a whole bunch of people were clamoring because apparently in Ruby 2.2, there was, and beyond, uh, VCR suddenly had a thread safety issue. And oh, yeah, no. Um, so what would happen is you get these files. For anybody who doesn't know what VCR is, what it does is you hook it into your test framework and anywhere you would make a network request, you wrap VCR around it and it records mm -hmm. network request, either letting it go through to the original target or reading from file if it already has one. There's a whole bunch of configuration, but the idea is that like right. in your test, you don't want to have to keep going to Facebook to for a user just to test your authentication. So what you do is at a minimum, you set up VCR to catch that request and replay right. back, thus the VCR part, recording and replaying. Um, yeah, so we, we what would happen is you'd have two, these two cassettes and they'd flip-flop some parts of it, right? So some mm -hmm. headers from the first request would be in the second pay, uh, payload and so forth, and everybody was like really freaking out. And I had no idea what to do. I, had, I mean, when I get a thread safety issue or a seg fault in Rubyland, I switch libraries. <laughs> That's my solution to that sort of thing. I don't, know, I'm not, I don't really know that much about, I didn't know that at the time, I didn't know that much about that, that type of programming. Right. Like I understood that, hey, there are two threads going on and something bad is happening. And that was the extent of my understanding. I've changed since then, but at that point I was like, oh, this is scary. Uh, some random person made a big pull request and said, I fixed it. And <laughs> that's yeah, gotta be so nice. Yeah, oh, it was it was like six tickets that I could just be like, ah, gone. Um Yeah. And that was I mean, that was I guess the epitome of being an open source groundskeeper. Is <laughs> you just you you just brush things around until someone comes along and makes something big, and then you just make sure it doesn't Ruined right. systems. Make sure it doesn't like. Well, at the time, bitcoins weren't around, but you know, mm. mine it doesn't mine bitcoins on the machine. Right. And then you triage issues. Um, VCR was a huge introduction to me on how hard it is to maintain a large open source project, because unlike Ruby Gems, Ruby Gems got a set level of respect with issues. Mm -hmm. um, you rarely got people who come into the issues and were like. Hey, it's not working because they usually searched Google for it and Ruby gems is right. popular enough. VCR is just popular enough, but not popular enough to be, uh, you know, usually the problem when you're having with VCR is yourself. Right. Um, and so stack Overflow can't help you with that. But we would get, uh, I remember, well, actually this is very recent. Uh, I released version five of VCR with a whole bunch of improvements from like a couple of contributors who have done some really great stuff for us. Like uh, we now have, uh, we can do compression on the cassettes. Uh, mm -hmm. We can store cassettes without uh, without compression entirely. Not just the cassette compression, but the, you know the payload itself. Uh, we can now filter all sorts or all sorts of hooks or new hooks for people. Uh, anyways, I released version five, and a day later I get a issue. Uh, and it's already got seven comments. So I know I'm like, I've screwed up. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And the problem was I didn't include a change log in the release. And 
people were very upset about this. And boy, did that rub me the, the it rubbed me the wrong way that someone would make an issue about a text change like that and not contribute the text. Right. And I, I realized that it can be scary to contribute to open source. And if you are out there and you were like, I don't know if I should, you sh should try. Uh, very few people will bite your head off. And if they do, it's probably not worth contributing there anyways. Um, but, uh, but text change, change log, that should be something that I feel from, from having done this for so long, this jump at that, you know, that's, that's yeah. easiest. Uh, and there was, I saw every one of those emoji reactions, thumbs down, unhappy faces. And I got, I got angry. I was like, oh, this is you. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> I love the I, finger wagging that the yeah, people listening right. can't see. But. That's fair enough. <laughs> Neither did the commenters. <laughs> they couldn't see that either. Uh, and so I wrote the change log and I gave some extra thanks to the people who had contributed to version five. I pushed it out. And then uh, the, the culmination of the story is that I made the pull request for the change log and the test failed that they had before. And it turns out a downstream <laughs> library web mock had broken its API and a library that WebMock uses was throwing an exception in text form. And since VCR is all about recording things, so this new text was inside the payload. No, no. <laughs> and I couldn't release the change log anyways. I had to wait for like three levels of, I don't even know how to describe what. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a precarious situation maintaining a large library because you get people who are so angry at you and your only answer is, often you're doing it wrong uh and there's cases where you say you're doing it wrong and it was definitely not them doing it wrong it was you doing it wrong or someone upstream uh decides to have effectively an open source heart attack you know and you get to deal with the the bodies down the river um and i saw some people in that that web mock thread who are very who are open source contributors they were very rude and all I could think of is, my goodness, I'm glad I don't have this issue. <laughs> I'm glad that this is not my, I'm not the author of this, of this uh, project because I would absolutely be panicking. Right. Um, the fact that I broke someone downstream. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have live at a, a top level library. <laughs> right. You know, no one, no one depends on VCR from a library level. Thank goodness. Right. So what are you working on now? Oh, I am working uh, at a, uh, a media firm called Media Arts Labs. Uh, they do advertising. Um, but uh, the work I'm doing there is effectively DevOps for people, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, it's, there's a lot of really, really thick Excel spreadsheets that are effectively uh -huh programs, programs in waiting. And I work to make those into actionable, observable, you know, um, moderable things that we can actually do stuff with. Um, that's, that's my, that's my work time. My free time is mostly spent, uh, 
working on small, small side projects. I recently just finished up one for a friend who's a linguist. And I wrote her a dictionary uh, program so that she could write new stuff for her her uh, constructed language. That that all all this stuff just sounds so fascinating. I want to dive into all of it, but um, yeah. So, are you still maintaining uh, VCR? Yes, I am. It's still in the same. Like we just like I said, we just released version five. Uh, it's we have a new core contributor, Ollie, a uh, really good guy. Uh, he has been taking on a lot of the older issues. Um, and giving a, a lighter touch to some of the more incendiary uh, ones that pop up. Um, I, uh, I think what we're gonna do is our next big step because is to deprecate, we just deprecated 1.8 and 1.9 and 2.0. So I think we're probably gonna do 2.2 and 2.3 next. Right. Um, we've also got a whole bunch of Java stuff we actually have to like try out. I've been using JRuby lately for a side right. project. Uh, and so we've had some JRuby stuff that we've ignored. Uh, so we'll be fixing that. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else I want to ask. If people want to find you online and ask you questions themselves, I guess, uh, yeah. where do they find you? I'm extremely open to questions and you can find me literally anywhere at K Rainbolt Green, K-R-A-N-B-O-L-T-G-R-E-N-E. Uh, everywhere, everywhere. I'm that, that I, I have uh, the only person with this name in the world. So if you can't find me, you're not looking. Sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you sure. have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Yes. I, uh, is a video game okay? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, I have been playing two video games recently that I love. One of them is very peaceful. It's called Foundation. Uh, it's a fun little city manager uh, with a unique, two unique things. One of them is that um, you don't, uh, you use a paintbrush to tell your citizens where they can do things like extract resources or live. Mm -hmm. And two, you don't place down housing. Your citizens place down housing where the best place, uh, closest to where they want to work, which is it. Right. Uh, the other game is a little bit more violent. So be wary if you're not into guns is Escape from Tarkov a highly realistic shooter where the ultimate goal is to leave the map without dying. Uh, it's interesting in that um, there are players, there are AI, and there are players who look like AI. Okay. And so the, obviously everybody is aggressive towards the regular players, but the player AI characters, as you can just jump in, you're in one, uh, and you look, you will not be aggressive to the AI and the AI will not be aggressive to you. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can pretend to be one though. So it's fun to like, just like pretend to be an AI. Uh, the AI in the game is not overly complex. So one trick is to, is to try and spot the other AI players. And because if you can get them, you're not in trouble for it. You know, if you can kill them, you're, you don't get in trouble. Right. Uh, it's, it's very, fun and exciting and and it's a lot of risk and reward um you'll you'll see some pile of loot and you could go diving for it but when people see you they'll know you're a player <laughs> they'll absolutely know you're a player and then can you get to the exit with all that all that great loot those are the two games i've been playing lately a lot sounds like fun yeah 
So um, I've got a couple of picks here too. Um, they're a little bit more practical for people who are running a business and things like that. Um, so we've got a bunch of podcasts, you know, in the works and things like that. And um, one of the things that I've been working on is um, just planning out my next three months. And I use a system out of a book called the 12 week year. And um, basically it's just kind of short term goal setting for, you know, your long term goals. And it is awesome. So I highly recommend that to anybody really who's trying to, um, you know, get ahead and work towards specific long term things that they want to work for. Um, it focuses, it forces you to think about, okay, what can I do within the next three months? And then uh, gives you specific system and tactics to actually go and, you know, make strides toward it. So I've, I've been filling that in and it's been terrific. Um, I've been doing it on a system called Notion, notion.so. Oh yeah, I love that. I love it. Uh, my big complaint, period, the end, is that they don't have an API because <laughs> I would love to do automations against it. Um, it's on their coming soon list because I think I'm not the only person who's complained about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, once, once that comes into play, it's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And then finally, um, I've been working on a system called PodWrench. And it's, a, it's an application for podcasters, um, helps maintain their um, uh, content calendar and things like that. Um, if you go to podwrench.com, I've, I've written a bunch of copy in there that I need to actually rewrite now because I've kind of figured out more of a marketing strategy I want to follow. But uh, I definitely want people to try it out. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, reach out to me and let me know. And uh, in that vein, I guess a few other things I should throw out there are, um, you know, I mentioned we're starting Adventures in DevOps. We're also start, starting a bunch of other shows. Um, we're starting a blockchain show, Ad Adventures in Blockchain. I'm kind of stuck with the Adventures in theme here. So you'll, you'll kind of pick <laughs> that up. Um, Adventures in.net should start recording soon. Um, we have a data pod, data podcast called data therapy coming out. Um, support or sustain our software is a podcast about open source sustainability, which is something we've talked a lot about here. If you've listened to Ruby rogues, uh, Eric Berry, who's also local here, by the way, he lives a few more miles away from me than David Brady does. Um, he, he's going to be on that along with, um, PM Man Mantini from, uh, open collective and, uh, Richard Litauer from, uh, sustain OSS and we've got a few other people that are really interesting and very involved in the open source space that are going to be coming on and talking about that. And we're going to be talking about um, everything from sort of how to get the payoff from doing open source. Cause a lot of, you know, and, and avoiding the burnout, which are kind of related, not a hundred percent related, but they're sort of related. And then, um, you know, maintainability and, and, you know, working with people and things like that in the open source setting. So, uh, we have a lot of stuff coming and it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, most of these shows though, we actually have an opening or two for hosts. And so if, if you're interested in being a host on any of these shows, um, send me an email, Chuck at devchat.tv and let me know and we'll get that rolling. Um, the other ones that I don't have specific start dates on that I'm hyper-focused on out of that 12 week year, that three, three month plan, um, and my goal is to get those started within the next few weeks to a month um, are artificial intelligence. Um, I've got a few people I'm talking to, but nothing solid yet. Um, but I'm hoping to solidify that by the end of July. 
um, with a panel and, and recording times and everything. Um, so that's AI and machine learning. Uh, virtual reality and augmented reality or mixed reality, depending on how you think about it. Um, and I've got one or two people there and we're just finalizing that and getting a few more people involved. And Python. And Python's going to be run by Ruben Lerner, who is one of our hosts on the Freelancer Show. So he's, he's kind of spearheading that and helping find people. So um, anyway, if you're interested in any of that, I kind of want to get all this out of my head and into the podcast so that people know, hey, you know, this is available. So anyway, um, those are the things I'm shouting out about. Uh, we also just barely launched devchat.tv or relaunched devchat.tv. Um, and I've mentioned kind of the technologies behind it on a couple of different shows. And now I'm actually optimizing it and things like that. So if it loads slow for you for whatever reason, and you can give me some feedback on that, or if there's specific content you'd like to like me to make easier for you to find or anything like that, uh, let me know, Chuck at devchat.tv. All right, Curtis, uh, thank you for coming and talking to us. I'm, I'm glad. I hope someone can find some insight or wisdom out of my rambling. Well, it's interesting because people get into a situation similar to where you're at and then they go, oh yeah, yeah, what he did, you know, is definitely what I want to do or, you know, some of the cautionary stuff. It's like, yeah, well, that's not the way to go. So, right. <laughs> I can agree. So, yeah. So I think it's helpful. And the other thing is, is a lot of people, they, they think it's just them, you know, whatever it is that they're dealing with, they think it's just them. And the reality is, is that we all go through stuff. Um, we're all figuring this stuff out. And so it's nice to just hear, Hey, you know what, what I'm going through is normal. And if I stick it out, then, you know, good things will come. So let's see. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it again. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up folks. And we will be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.